If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's podcast, I'm speaking with Celeste. Celeste lives in Melbourne with her two gorgeous boys, Henry and Charlie. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Celeste. I would love to start by understanding what the journey you went on to um, decide to become a solo mum by choice. Um, well, I guess I reached my I reached my 30th and I hadn't met anybody. I, not that I put a hell of a lot of effort into it. <laughs> I dated a little bit in my early 20s but didn't really meet anybody interesting and then I just got absorbed into work and time sort of got away from me. So I got the requisite white fluffy dog. Um, <laughs> So that was my fur baby for a while and I had, um, my brother had a daughter, so I got quite involved in um, being with my niece and stuff, um, even though they don't live in um, Melbourne, I was travelling back and forth to Gippsland and spending time with them. And then I watched the J-Lo movie, The Backup Plan. I love that movie, yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible representation of solo motherhood, but it put the idea in my head that you could actually just go and buy sperm. I didn't realise you could do that as a, as a single person. I thought it was only a service available to couples and only same-sex couples would have availability, but I thought you had to be a couple. I didn't think it was available to a single person. Yeah. So I think that was what planted the seeds and I was about, I think, about 32 when I saw that. And then um, I was um, living in my first house in Reservoir and I just never felt safe there it was always people yelling and dogs attacking small kids and stuff in the streets around me and I'm like I can't I can't do this here so I decided the first thing I needed to do was to move so I moved into a more family friendly suburb which was Mm -hmm. near some good schools and everything so that took a bit of time and then I had a few overseas trips planned so I went ahead and did those and then uh I think I was about, and I wrote a few notes down because I can't remember otherwise. <laughs> it was about 2014 that I started. I was about 36. Might have been, yeah, I would have been turned 36 when I started the process. And I um, didn't put any thought into clinics. I just had a friend who said that her friend had had IVF at Melbourne IVF and that they do 
stuff there. So I was like, all right. So I just made an appointment with them, <laughs> picked a, a, a specialist out of their list of specialists and went there, just went based on location because it was convenient to work in East Melbourne. And That's quite to, important, though, with the amount of appointments you end up having, isn't it? So It is, yeah. But really didn't click with her. But I just thought I've never really had a doctor like a GP even that I've clicked with. So I just thought, oh, well, doesn't matter. I'm just paying her to do a job if she does it. Yeah. Um, but it was a really longer, a lot longer process than I ever thought it would be. Back then, um, the wait lists were quite long. And, of course, you had to do the two IUIs first. And I think I started in October of 2014 and I think I looked it up, my first IUI was in April of 2015 and then another one in May. So it took that long to get through the, the um, wait list and then I went, had to go back on the wait list again. And I didn't get was that the wait list to get sperm or just to do yeah, the sperm? Yeah, sperm, okay. And then I had to go back on it again when that didn't work. To, to do um, IVF and I did my egg collection um, in January of 2016. So and, that was about uh, 18 months then. Yeah. I just thought it would be you walk in, you say, oh, I'd like that one, <laughs> and just like in the movie, and then you walk out of your IUI and you're pregnant. And, of course, there are people that happens for, but I was there not. There are one. some <laughs> very lucky people, yes. Yeah. <laughs> And I also thought that I'd just magically meet somebody too after that as well, you know, because I've watched that movie way too many times. <laughs> the full J-Lo experience. I'm now pregnant yeah. with someone else's child and, of course, I make the love of my life. Yeah, I hope Exactly. So. And I was ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, so I when I did the, um, I did the egg collection and I got six embryos, mm. which isn't too bad. And I did a fresh yeah. transfer, which didn't work, and I did the frozen transfer and that's when I got pregnant from that so that was lucky I was pretty when you think about the amount of procedures and things I had done very minimal but yeah. um it's just the weightless times that took took the time and the and the dollars of course which is quite expensive but um yes so I got my son Henry who's um he was born in November of 2016 and he's now five and a half oh. a half is very important Oh, especially when you're that age, yes, very fair. Yes. Yeah. And how did you find selecting sperm? Did you have to go through it twice with a different one for IUI and IVF, or did you use the same yes. donor both? Yeah. Um, in both, both the way at the time that Melbourne IVF, IVF was doing it, you would get two or three profiles at a time as they came out of storage um, after being quarantined. They were all Australian donors at that stage. They were only just at that, because there was such a shortage, they'd started contemplating um, overseas donors but that wasn't available to me when I did it and I don't think I would have chosen the overseas one anyway but um, the first I, I of course you know thought this is like an opportunity to improve on the genetics of the family <laughs> <laughs> I was very obsessed with you know academic qualities and height and eye colour and all that stuff and I think with the IUI one I found a very good specimen I thought you know this is a good improvement Um, but that didn't work of course but then when it came to the IVF selections it was very 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 different Um, the quality of the 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 information people provided was a lot less Um, so there'd be like one word answers and that was one of my criteria too if this is the only information we've got until 
Henry's 18, it needs to be a bit of information because he'll have questions at some point. Yeah. Um, so I wanted somebody who filled out all of the boxes as much as they could. And that took, you know, several rejections before I got to a couple of ones to choose from that had at least some information in there. But funnily enough, when um, I got to the, the set that I got, the last set I got, I didn't end up picking anybody based on eye colour or hair colour or height or anything. <laughs> it was really just about what they, this, the information they provided about their hobbies and things like that because one of the other things I was hoping to get was somebody who was sort of similar sort of interests, yeah. hoping that, because, I, yeah, I guess I wanted Henry to be able to look at his family and say, oh, okay, I fit in. Mm. Um, I didn't want him to think, why am I this artsy person or something that's so different to everybody else yeah. and I've got nobody to talk to or anything like that. So the donor I picked had some similar interests and I thought, oh, that'll work out well. Um, so I picked him even though he was shorter and, <laughs> well, he was my height, which I'm not that short, but, um, yeah. Like all the things I thought were important about academics and stuff like that, this guy had several different careers and like he's a bit flashy. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. We can yeah. get so judgy just with what people have written on a piece of paper, can't we? Well, yeah, you haven't got a lot to go on, right? So you, yeah. you can't go on personality or anything like that. So you're sort of trying to glean that from the information you've got and you're, trying to, you're thinking, well, if I'm paying all this money, it should be good quality. <laughs> and then you know there's the genetic factors and stuff too of course and some some of those ruled out some people yeah so I yeah so yeah it's quite I found that way that they did it back then was quite stressful because you didn't know if there was more donors coming and you had only two or three to assess at a time you're told if you decline it was going to the next person so you wouldn't come back you couldn't come back and choose because you run out of people sort of thing. Well, luckily, I think that process has moved on quite considerably from that one. From what I've heard of the other stories that you've had. You know, it sounds like some people have basically got donors like Tinder nowadays and they can just keep going each day and see if it's refreshed. But it's good to see the world has moved on. Yes. <laughs> and were you going through the profiles by yourself or did you have someone else going through it with you? Because it was just every now and again that you'd get a, a set, it was definitely mostly me. And then if I thought there was something of interest, then I might have shared that with my mum. But um, most of the time you, you're sort of just wanting to get on to the next bunch. So you're going, okay, no, 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 because I'm pretty decisive. Um, um, yeah. And most, like I said, most of the ones, especially the first few sets they gave me were so little information. It was like I'm not even interested in pursuing any of those because they're too too minimal. That's good that you felt that you had the luxury that you could say no and get the right one. <laughs> I didn't, but I was like, I can't, I can't choose those guys. There's, if that's the only information we have had. I think back when I was initially going through this process, I was thinking that we probably won't meet the donor until Henry's 18. Mm -hmm. um, we might meet some donor siblings, but I wasn't too fussed about meeting the donor unless unless Henry was really really needed to like it was something that he really needed um and knowing him now I don't think he'll 
I don't think he'll ever be in that point where he really, really needs to, but he might like to at some stage. So you had your mum involved for some of it. How did she react when you said that you were going to go down this path? Uh, I didn't even really know I was going to go down the path. And when I told her, I just sort of blurted it out <laughs> at one point. <laughs> I think I said something along the lines of, um, I'm going to have a baby by myself, whether you guys support me or not. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she's like, what? <laughs> and then she sort of went, oh, yeah, of course we'll support you. Oh, you dad. That might be a bit tricky, but, yeah, we'll support you. And then I think she, because we were out for lunch, I think, and um, then she went and talked to my dad and then he was, he did the whole, oh, why don't you just go and get knocked up, go and meet some guy in a, in a bar or something, get knocked up. I'm like, yeah, no, man. I don't think so. <laughs> for starters, you don't know what you're going to get genetically and then what else are you going to catch with that situation? <laughs> yeah. Just say J-Lo made me do it. It's, not, it's all her fault. Yes. <laughs> so pregnant after your first frozen transfer, how was pregnancy with Henry? Um, I was very anxious. I really didn't think that I was going to get a baby at the end. I was certain something was going to happen. Um, and do you I did have to face that on or do you think it's just because it took a while? I was just, you know, yeah, just worried. Uh, I did have a bleed, um, a very minor bleed in comparison to what I had with Charlie, but um, I had a very minor bleed at six weeks, which I think is what scared me the most. And I think I had another one at 10 weeks, a small one. I was on a lot of progesterone um, to help with that. And then aside from that, I mean, the pregnancy was pretty good. I mean, I never had morning sickness. I did have, um, I ended up with um, pelvic girdle pain. Um, I think by 20 weeks, I couldn't sleep lying down because I couldn't sleep on my side because oh, I was having trouble breathing. So I was sleeping, sitting up. And I think, I guess another problem, <laughs> I had an obstetrician who was not very helpful and um, she just said, oh, that's just life. You've just got to deal with that um, instead of referring me to an osteo or somebody like that. So I had terrible pain <laughs> from 20 weeks through till the end. But I got through it. Um, yeah, I didn't really get it resolved until a couple of years after that, actually. But, oh, really? um, but with um, my second pregnancy, I had help all the way through because it was just too hard on my yeah. body. Um, but, yeah, but aside from that, pretty easy. I mean, the birth stuff was great. great. She didn't really catch that, um, that Henry was um, having problems so I ended up having an emergency Caesar I got induced at 41 weeks and ended up having to have an emergency Caesar and actually didn't really find out why until this last year um, when I took because um, Henry had we discovered at eight weeks that Henry's rear suture had closed um, but it had been closed from birth yeah um, and um I had to have, he had uh, surgery at four months to have that opened again. And the plastic surgeon that we went to and have been continuing to go to had checked on my new baby, Charlie, because we thought he had the same problem. Yeah. And um, he explained, was explaining to one of the um, 
students that he had in the room. Oh, and, you know, Henry, because Henry's um, head was fused at birth, he would never have made it down the birth canal. It's like, because <laughs> he was wedged, he was stuck. Yeah. And you found that out like five years later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's funny. But, um, yeah, so, yeah, he had a pretty rough go in there, but he was fine once he was out. So, yeah. That would have been a little bit stressful. Were you living by yourself when you took him home or did you stay with your parents? I stayed or? with my parents in Gippsland for the first eight weeks because of the Caesar. I mean, I hadn't planned on doing a Caesar, but once um, he went into distress, obviously there wasn't any choice. Um, but, yeah, so they helped. I think I was planning on staying with them for a bit anyway initially because yeah. with being the first baby and not having anybody else around to help. Um, yeah, because that was quite good and bad at the same time. The good. <laughs> and when she came home and it was just the two of you, how was that? Can you remember that? <laughs> um, yeah, it was a long time ago. Uh, it was pretty good. I had to work through... I was a contractor, so I didn't get any paid maternity leave and I earned just over the amount for the government to qualify for the government one. So How frustrating. Yeah. So I was lucky that my work agreed for me to do two days a week across four days. So I would work four hours a day during Henry's naps. With an eight-week-old? Yes. I started at eight weeks because finances were getting a bit tight. (laughs) And... um, yeah, he wasn't a great day sleeper, so I had to sleep train him, but he was quite responsive to sleep training, so that worked, yeah. <laughs> luckily. <laughs> he was always a good night sleeper. Um, he didn't sleep through, but he was he was always would do the big, big chunks anyway. Um, I really loved it. I really loved being a mum. I was always worried. I'm a worrier, you probably guess. Um, <laughs> I was always anxious that I was going to forget something or do something wrong for the first bit. Yeah. Um, especially with being a first-time mum. I could go shopping and I'd be like wringing my hands, worried that I've, I've left something at home that I need or something, <laughs> overpack. Um, but I got over that. But, yeah, that was a bit. But I always, you know, be, always be watching the monitor and waiting for him to wake up in the morning because I'd be excited to, to spend time with him. So I remember that. I remember for ages you just make it yeah. wake up in the middle of the night and if they'd sleep through, you'd be checking with the monitor to yes. make sure they were still breathing, turning up to full volume, you know. Are you still there? My God, what's happened? Yeah. I kept that monitor in his room until it was, um, well, until Charlie was born pretty much. Yeah. Like spying on him. He's sleeping. <laughs> I might still have mine too, so I completely understand. And so spoiler alert, there is a number two. Yeah, I decided decide to embark on having a second child. Did you have intention to think overall always to have more than one or did there was there a moment? Um, I would have liked four. Okay. That would have, you know, originally if I had a partner, I would have probably had more than two. Yeah. I might not have got to four, but I would have liked more than two. Um, and then I thought when I was sort of planning to do this, because um, I'm a bit of a planner and I did like a, budget how can I afford can I afford school and all that stuff and after school activities and things and I thought oh you know maybe I could afford two but probably just one so I think but then once I had Henry and because I enjoyed it so much it's like no no I'm going to have a second yeah Um, and I think because he was a boy and I'd always always my fantasies I had a girl 
And so I thought, oh, well, I'll have another go, but I know that it'll probably be a boy, but maybe it could be a girl. And then when I was planning on, um, when I went and met the facility specialist, the different fertility specialists this time um, to get pregnant with Charlie, I had, um, I've had four embryos in the freezer. I contacted the donor team and found out that um, he had quite a few siblings already and there was a, it was essentially half, half boys, half girls. And I thought, oh, so there is a 50% chance yeah. that it could be a girl. This is good. Like, because yeah. I thought, nah, it's all boys. Like, I thought, sure, there's no chance at all. And I wanted to know so that I, I could just let go of that idea. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I tried. Um, so that was, Henry was nearly three when I started um, the process of trying to conceive a second child. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a different fertility specialist because this time I wanted somewhere, um, somebody near my home because um, I wasn't working in the same area where I was before. Yeah. Still with an IVF though? Yeah, because I wanted the same donor. Yeah. And they had my embryos. And I, I didn't really think I would do another egg collection because I hated the process so much. Like I ended up with hyperstimulation and oh, all that stuff. And I didn't just didn't want to go through that again. Yeah. So initially my, my discussion with family was, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go through the embryos I've got. If I don't get pregnant, then it wasn't meant to be. Yeah. Well, of course, that did not work out that way. Oh, okay. <laughs> I went through, I think I had two transfers in um, late 2019 and both of those didn't work. Or one of them sort of worked but then didn't where maybe it was a chemical pregnancy. Um, and then um, my grandfather passed away, so I skipped that November month because um, it was, you know, we were all a bit sad and we were, I was away anyway, I was in Gippsland, so I wasn't going to be able to do it. And it was Christmas and they don't do any over Christmas. So then I did the last two in January and February and the final one took a little bit, probably a chemical pregnancy too, but it was enough. It was, it, the HCG was high enough that it took a while to get past the, because you're taking progesterone and they keep monitoring going back in to see if it's doubled. Oh no, it's not quite doubled. It's come close. All right, let's just go another couple of days. So that took a couple of weeks. So that dragged on and it was pretty, pretty awful. Mm. And because it was my last one, I was pretty devastated. And then, um, so um, then I, I was pretty confident I was going to do an egg collection, but um, I decided that I went in and saw the, the specialist and said, look, I want to know why, why haven't these taken first before I decide 100% that I'm going to do an egg collection. So we did a few tests and found I had a polyp, and, which had to be removed because it was in a position which would have caused miscarriage. And then... Um, Oh, interesting, but they hadn't picked that up with anything. That no, she, uh, no, she did. I had a polyp. That's right. When I went first went and saw her, she did a similar test and they found one then and I had to have that out before I started with the frozen ones. So I'd, in, in the in-between had developed another one. Okay. It was only a size of sesame seed or something, but it was in the wrong spot. It was going to cause a problem if I got pregnant. So, And then I did a another test. It was a... NK cell test. Mm, I've heard of that one. Um, so they're like a, I think, 
I want to say that the NK stands for natural killer, but I'm not thinking that's what it stands for. It's some kind of <laughs> it's some kind of something in the womb that um, if you have too many of them, then it will basically it'll treat any embryo that you um, have in there as like a like a tumor or something, and it'll fight it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so it'll cause you to have a miscarriage, basically. And my my um, NK cells were very high, so um, the decision if you have that is usually you take steroids in the first trimester, That's and that will um, give the pregnancy the best chance to 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 make it through. So um, so once I had those bits of information, I was like, okay, well that's probably why it didn't take. Mm. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of other factors. I'm not exactly a tiny person. I'm quite large too, so that doesn't help. Um, and I didn't have those embryos PGA tested, so I didn't know whether they would probably be begin with. They might not have been. So, so um, I decided I was going to do an egg collection, but then, of course, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And um, I just got the tests in before... Um, we got went into lockdown, um, which was lucky. And um, so, yeah, we were in, that was because that was in March, early March. It was like the week of when we went in lockdown. And then, um, yeah, so then I think in June when we came out, I had the polyp removed and I was going to have the air collection in July, but um, it was looking like we were going to get locked down again. Well, we, no, we were locked down, but they were, they, continued they were doing IVF that time round and um but my mum has asthma and we were too scared because she would have to come down to watch um Henry whilst I had the and to pick me up so we decided not to risk her health and I waited until September I think when the next lockdown ended the egg collection I got I got a really good number of eggs I got, I don't know, 18, I think, 16, 18. Did you have um, um, the simulation again? Yeah. I only get it mildly, but, um, yeah. So is it not enough that they put off um, transfers? They do. It's enough that they'll do the monitoring, like they call you every day to see how you, if you're alive and you're okay. <laughs> yeah. But not enough to have to be hospitalised. Um, okay. I just get, like, bad cramping and stuff. And not enough that they delay your transfer, so that's good. Uh, yeah, except I wanted to do the PGA testing, so they won't do a fresh transfer with that. Yeah, um, yeah. so I get a good quantity but not good quality, I, I guess, because I only really got two, well, I only got two embryos that made it through to five-day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, of course, I'm a bit, I was a bit older. I was um, 42, nearly 42. I was going to say you are pre-geriatric by then. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> Feeling it as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that was challenging, and um, so I got two embryos, and only one of them tested normal. But um, um, and because it was that whole situation was stressful and awful, I decided, all right, this is it. Yeah. <laughs> and so we we called this the kitchen sink one. So they were throwing all the drugs, and I mean all the drugs <laughs> at it, steroids. I was doing two lots of pessary. Um, um, progesterone pessaries and um, progesterone oil, which was um, injected in the butt oh. and had to be, it was intramuscular. So it had to be injected by a nurse every day. 
as this intramuscular. Um, and I did that for, must have been the first four weeks. And then I managed to convince the, the nurse and, and I managed to convince the doctor that to let me use, they had a different oil that you could self-inject in the stomach. So um, because especially with Christmas, I would have had to find a GP every day to get it injected. Like the cost was astronomical. I would have spent, seriously would have spent probably three or $4,000 just on drugs because I was having that much progesterone and it went on and on and on because I had a minor bleed at eight weeks maybe. And then I had a very bad bleed at 12 weeks. Like I went, like it was, I thought I was miscarrying and I had, we called an ambulance. It was lucky that I was um, at my parents' place when it happened. Lucky in terms of, there was somebody to watch Henry and didn't have to stress about that, but not so lucky for my parents' carpet because it looked like a murder had happened. There was that much blood. <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh about it now. <laughs> yes. Just imagining how stressful that would have been, gosh. Yeah, yeah. I thought he was gone for sure, but he wasn't. Um, he could be like a little angel now after all the stress he put you through, I have to say. Well, he's pretty <laughs> stubborn, so I think that was a trait that came through right from the beginning. <laughs> He's pretty um, tenacious. Like he, he'll he'll keep going for it. <laughs> Personality differences between the two kids is just like night and day. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I had another minor bleed at maybe fourteen weeks, and then I think at fifteen weeks I found out I had gestational diabetes. Um, that was pretty much okay. going to happen given your age, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I must have been borderline type 2 anyway when I started the process because they picked it up very early because I was having a lot of pain and they thought maybe I had a UTI, but then they found all the glucose in my urine instead. So because um, I hadn't done the 20-week um, the test yet or whatever you normally do it, I had to be on insulin because um, it, was too, it wasn't going to be manageable by food apparently. <laughs> I was the same. It's just your placenta yeah. going a little bit mental, and I think the yeah. amount of people over forty that end up that way as well, and it's just yeah, the factor on it. Yeah, but it, I, I found that um, whilst it was terrible to have to keep injecting because I'd been injecting so much with the progesterone and everything for so long, um, it was awful to have to continue with that process. <laughs> Um, even once the progesterone was done at 16 or 17 weeks, I think it was. Um, but, you know, I actually lost weight when I was pregnant. I didn't gain a single kilo. I lost 10 kilos, actually. <laughs> Not all bad people. I only put on nine kilos when I was pregnant, thanks to the gestation yeah. ladies as well. There's some positives. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I found because um, all of my weight issues are hormone-related because I have PCOS. Um, being pregnant balances me out. Mm. Um, so I didn't gain much at all with Henry and I lost with Charlie, So, which helps a lot, especially when you get to the end with the birth and everything. Um, didn't help enough for me to be allowed to birth at the local um, private hospital because I was when I started my pregnancy, I was over their, their limit okay. and they wouldn't reevaluate it even though I was well under by the end. But, yeah. Okay. Because I had gestational diabetes too, I don't think they were too keen on the idea because they're only a small um, hospital. 
So I ended up having him at Cabrini. So. And did you try for a VBAC or just go, no, we're just going cesarean? Just went cesarean. My idea was why even bother with any of the birth at all? Like just plan it the 38 weeks. Let's not worry about doing any of the pain. Yeah. Um, wasn't a great experience. I thought it would be, I thought planned, because uh, I loved the, the emergency one. It was great. I'd already, because I'd already been hooked up for an epidural. I never got to use it because things went awry, but I was already plugged up and ready to go. And it was all great. Um, I found the recovery really good. But with um, Cabrini and um, the planned one, the, the um, anaesthetist had trouble getting a line in my back because I've just got um, back problems, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with my weight, and um, he, I, I was black from bruises from where he tried to get this line, and he spent ages trying to get in. I was bawling, I was crying so bad, it was so sore. <laughs> um, and then they took forever. They were playing around in there. Charlie had been and gone because he had he had um, low blood sugar, so they had to take him off to special care nursery. Yeah. So he was gone and. Here I am, and they're burning things and doing stuff. And I don't think I remember any of that from the first one. I must have been so out of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Taking forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't enjoy it the second time. But, you know, you get the outcomes, so that was all that really mattered. How did yeah. you find being at home with a newborn and a, what would have been moving by then, like three? Four? It was four and a half. Yeah. Yep. And recovering from a cesarean. So again, I went to stay with my parents for that eight weeks. I couldn't have done it if I didn't have my parents because I did struggle a lot more with the recovery this the second time. I think um, the stomach muscles and stuff like that, it was just a lot sore. Yeah. I tried really hard. I had a lot of problems with Henry um, breastfeeding. Uh, my milk never really came in and I just, I always just thought it would just magically happen. Because my mum would always tell stories about how she would just be, it would just be squirting out of her. So I thought, oh, you know, well, I'm the same. I'll be the same. It's got to be the the Dutch genes. I'll be able to just, it'll just be good. It wasn't. (laughs) Um, And because um, I think the the maternal child health nurse had told me, well, you know, given that you'd had a Caesar and uh, induction and you're low in iron, all those factors, you probably were never going to be very successful. And I don't have the right type of nipples and my boobs are so big to begin with, even before the milk came in. There's all too many factors that weren't going to be very good. It was going to be challenging and I would have had to take the medication if I really wanted to be successful. Um, But I didn't want to do that. But with Charlie, I was really, I was going to make it happen. So I got a pump ahead of um, and I pumped for a couple of weeks before I went into hospital to get things moving and then I went in and I, I got that supply right up. It was coming out like, like there was no tomorrow, but he couldn't suck. No. Nope. <laughs> well, special... <laughs> yeah. They forced because they had to force feed him to get him his to stabilize his blood sugar. Um and then they had because they had him on the tube. And so he just didn't learn to suck initially and then um, we spent a bit of time and got him to do it, but then they're like, "Well, he's losing, he's losing weight. You can't, he can't do a suck feed every feed, so you're going to have to express, and every second feed you can try and feed him." And I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> and 
And then um, he just couldn't deal with, he was, because he was a bit, quite a bit littler than Henry. He just couldn't deal with the size of my breasts and the weight of them. It was like suffocating. To me, it looked like he was getting suffocated. (laughs) So I decided the first night I had him out of special care, which was the last night we were in hospital. And I went through it and I'm feeding him by bottle because he's starving and then um, having to sit there and express and then getting an hour's sleep and then starting all over again. I'm like, no, this isn't going to work for a single solo mum. No. So not with a four and a half year old at home as well. Yeah. But I had so much supply that um, coming down off it to to the letdown was just terrible so i ended up having to take medication to dry it up yeah. which was fun either so yes you go into these things just assuming it's all just mm. going to work because that's what you've been told your whole life but the amount of people that struggle with breastfeeding yeah i know i don't know if it's just the people i talk to but it seems to be almost the majority have issues which is weird yes yes mm. i don't think we talk about it enough mm. i was even um with my mother's group from, so I went, I did mother's group with um, Henry and I still, I'm still in contact with the mum, some of the mums um, and we go out for dinner sometimes, but um, only one of them had had problems. The others, it was all like, oh, magical and, you know, all that and like, yeah. <laughs> Thinking about my mother's group, I reckon half of them had probably stopped feeding by three months. Yeah. Having challenges. So. Yes. Yeah. The one, the other one that had problems like me—that's what she did. She managed to make it to three months. I made it to two weeks, so that was that was me. <laughs> but I'm very much of the opinion: if it ain't working, I'm not going to flog a dead horse. I'm not going to put myself through that. It's hard enough. Like um, Charlie was a bit of a challenge sleep-wise initially. He didn't. He wasn't as good a sleeper as Henry, and he wanted to be on, slept on somebody, especially during the day which was quite different. Um, of course, he's the complete opposite now. Getting a cuddle out of him is a night, like it's just, unless he's sick, it's not going to happen. Independent, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Henry's the opposite. He's my couch potato. He'll curl up with me and watch a movie, but Charlie's not not bothered. Because Henry was doing that at 12 months. He was watching movies with me, curled up in the, in the chair, mm. watching Moana or something. Yeah. <laughs> and how, is, how has he been having a new little brother? Oh, he loves it. Yeah. He hasn't had any problems yet because, um, Charlie, well, Charlie's just starting to get into his stuff. Because so, Henry's very obsessed with Beyblades. I don't know if you know what those are. Yeah. They're like a thing you rip a cord and they spin. In a, in, he's got the stadium. It's like a plastic red thing and they spin around in it. So, um Charlie likes it because it's, you know, things spinning around. So he's forever trying to pull at the stadium and pull it. No, 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 I'm training. You can't do that. <laughs> Very serious business. It's serious because, you know, he does training. He'll do sit-ups and push-ups and he's trying to get really good. The <laughs> four-and-a-half-year age gap is obviously not what you intended, but yeah. looking back now, do you think that's probably a good age gap or do you wish it had happened earlier? Um, I. I do wish it would had happened earlier because if I had of if it was if I was a bit younger, I probably would have had a third. Mm-hmm. Much to my parents' disgust, but yeah, I probably would have had a third. Um, but um, I think it's good for well, it's been great because Henry can help. 
um, because I've got two dogs as well. One of them's a bit older and he needs to go out to the toilet a lot. So Henry will let him out and shut him out for me if we need to. Um, And he'll feed the dogs and put snappies in the bin, even though it might be a bit gross. (laughs) Um, But um, when Henry was away, because Henry went and stayed with my parents in Gippsland over the school holidays because he's in school now, um, I missed, I realised exactly how much he does help me (laughs) and how much of a hassle it is to have to get up all the time when you're trying to feed, bottle feed a baby and then have um, the dog wanting to go to the toilet at the same time and he's going to have an accident if you don't let him and all that stuff. It's, yeah, I do rely on him a bit to help out with just those sorts of things. So looking back now, do you think there's anything you would do differently or any advice that you'd give anyone who's sort of going through this process? Um, I would have started earlier. Mm-hmm. I would have, instead of getting two dogs, I would have started with a child because <laughs> having two dogs and two children is quite challenging. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. I think um, now having listened to your podcast and hearing other people's stories, I would have shopped around. Um, if I had that information before, I would have said no to Melbourne IVF and I probably would have gone with somebody else. I don't know what other options there were at that time, but um, they were very expensive. I felt like I was paying for stuff that was a bit extra. Like I felt like I was, you know, they were reaming me for all my money, especially the second time around. Mm. Um, Yeah. You'd look on that thing and they'd be like, oh, you need to do um, this kind of, scope thing and that's an extra thousand dollars and now you need to do this and that and that's I just felt like all the time that they were just ringing me for all my money and because it was very expensive especially Charlie because of the medication I also felt like I was very over medicated with the progesterone I think there was no reason why I had to have that much progesterone but I just don't think there was a much of a care for the financial aspect or the financial hit on me yeah um because I think the whole industry is so unregulated in terms of unnecessary procedures and and um, things that they charge you for. So you think someone who's just starting out, what should they be asking clinics when they are trying to work out who to go with? What do you think is important? Um, I think you just need to feel comfortable about, and you you want to make sure that they they share all the costs with you up front, because mm-hmm. I think there was a lot of hidden costs. They don't talk about the medication costs up front as much as they should. And I don't think the IUIs and that necessarily really needed to be as medicated as they were. Because um, I think like what a lot of people talk about being socially infertile and not necessarily actually infertile. I think, you know, if I had a, the option to do a few more IUIs, I probably might have got pregnant, at least with Henry I might have, because um, there really wasn't anything wrong apart from being a, a bit overweight um, and having PCOS, but I never had any problems with my cycle or anything like that. So um, just because two didn't work, I could have potentially done more. But with Melbourne IVF, they won't let you. It's only two. Not even then, an option that you can pay and do more. Okay. No, because um, because there's such a shortage of sperm at the time. I don't know whether that's still the, the, the policy, but their policy at the time was no, It's you know, there's not enough sperm to go around. So if you can't get pregnant, too bad. Well, it does sound like the sperm uh, supply has got worse, so it's probably the same policy, let's say. Probably, yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I think if I had been a bit more educated, I would have wanted to try more IUIs. So I would have tried to find a clinic that was a bit more supportive of that. Yeah. Um, and I think just um, having heard so many wonderful stories of people having a great time with their fertility specialists, <laughs> and I would have liked to have had a bit more of a, a nicer experience. And same with the obstetrician. I think I just settled for whatever whatever's convenient. Um, even though it was not a great experience with the first obstetrician and the second one that I chose happened to be the fertility specialist that I, I thought she did, you know, a reasonable job getting me pregnant. There was some stuff I wasn't happy about, but then when it came to being my obstetrician, she, I just couldn't get appointments. Even though I was considered high risk and I was supposed to be having extra appointments, I, had, I would have barely had four appointments with her and there was, she didn't have a midwife, so there was no body else to see so I had so little care uh, for the money I spent and then I couldn't get a post um a post post birth appointment she just wouldn't see me at all she said why why would we need to see each other I'm like because I've had a baby and a Caesar and don't you need to check that out no you'll be fine if you've got any problems go and see your GP <laughs> it's like oh okay I thought I paid for all that already <laughs> Very, yeah. very different from my experience, yeah. Yeah, so I kind of, and I, I didn't really cotton on to what she was like until probably halfway through, but I think if I should have at that stage before I paid the last big chunk, I should have said, look, I think we're going to part company and picked a different one, but I just I just didn't want the bother and I should have bothered, I think. I would have been a lot happier if I had it. Hindsight's um, a wonderful thing though, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Um, I'm lucky that I had a good outcome with, you know, the baby in general but um yeah there was definitely a lot of moments where I was stressing where I didn't need to be and if I had a better doctor I wouldn't have been I probably would have even been better off going public to be honest at least you get to see somebody even if it's not the same person each time mm. there are lots of good questions to ask if you are yeah you just got pregnant and then considering going private yeah especially when you consider all the money um, that you're spending and it's you know it's it's challenging on a single income anyway um, and I did draw down on my super for some of it but not for all of it because they didn't really indicate to me what the, the costs were going to be post um, the egg collection in terms of the medications that we were going to plan to do so I was still quite a bit out of pocket um, and yeah. with your super, you can only draw down that once, isn't it? So you can't top it. Get a yeah, I think you now have to pay lots of money on medication. Yeah, because it's more for the IVF procedure in terms of the egg collection, and the um, they can add all that stuff on there, but that's just an estimate. Um, and if they get the estimate wrong, then you've got that dollar. And unless you're going back for another egg collection, you can't. You'd have to go through the whole process again. And yeah. And you obviously went back to work quite quickly after Henry. Have you done the same this time or were you in permanent work? Yeah, I well, I was an employee this time around, so I had um, paid maternity leave, which was great. Yeah. Um, so that was nice to not have to work through. But I did go back when he was seven months. Yeah, yeah. nearly nearly seven months. Um, the first day back, we, were, we all tested positive for COVID. <laughs> Good. Yay. <laughs> I thought I was really clever this time around because I knew that um, 
going to childcare, you know, you get a couple of months of being sick. So I thought I'll start him a month before I go back to work and hopefully he'll have had some of those illnesses ahead of and it won't be such a, an issue. But no. He had some of them, fine. not the important one. <laughs> well, I guess the thing I didn't factor in was when, when Henry went to childcare, he was, he was about the same age, um, but it was winter. So yeah. he got the winter lot as well as the um, I've never been exposed to germs lot right in, in the first few months. Um, so it was a rough few months, but um, he made it through. But because with Charlie it was January when he started in childcare, it, was, it really wasn't a lot of stuff going around for him to catch except for COVID. But he went and took his sweet time and didn't get it until, until my first day back. And he's feeling a bit, because I don't go, I never went into the office on Mondays. It used to always be a work from home day. Yeah. But um, back before COVID, work from home really wasn't, you wouldn't, there was no meetings or anything because we didn't have any of the collaboration tools that we have now. So um, I used to just work nights to make up for it. But since COVID, I've just worked the day whilst the kids are at home. Um, so um, on that Monday, he was home with me. He wasn't at childcare and he was had his temperature and he was a bit fussy and I thought, and he was coughing a bit and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And so I thought, oh, well, maybe we'll go and get a test done just in case. And then when Henry came home from school, I did the rat test and, yep. He was, yeah. yeah, he was positive and then we got the call saying we were positive. Um, uh, Charlie was positive but I was negative and I, but I tested positive a couple of days later. Pretty impossible for you not to get it. Being yeah, especially because I had him in bed with me because when they're that sick, I like to have him in bed with me so I can monitor their temperature during the night. Well, that was then. Um, we're now seven viruses in because um, since COVID, we've had, he's had a major, like some horrible virus every month. And then a couple of extra ones as well. RSV twice now. And we've had um, gastro. We've had influenza A. We've had para-influenza, which I've never heard of before. And um, rhinovirus. And this RSV that he's just had, he had an uh, ear infection at the same time. Um, and he's still with my parents in Sale in Gippsland because um, he's just been so sick and I just thought he's not going to make it to his first birthday without being sick again if I have to send him back to childcare because yeah. I had to go back into the office um, and he won't be able to get his vaccinations and all that. So he's stayed with my parents this week, just been the first time I've been away from him. But Has that been hard? Yes. I've been trying to make the most of it, though, like doing extra things that I can't do with a baby crawling around on the floor. But, um, yeah, it's not easy being that far away. Yeah. Um, yeah, especially when he's a bit, getting a bit grizzly and upset. But, yeah. So you're getting him back yeah. soon? Yes, mum's bring. Well, they, he was going to stay for two whole weeks. And then I think my parents realised exactly how challenging it is having a baby that gets into everything because my um, oldest son, Henry, was not that kid. He never he never pulled things out or got into stuff. He would just um, sit and watch movies with me. Um, he'd play with his toys. Charlie's not interested in toys. He's not 
worried about sitting and having cuddles. He has got no, doesn't even notice the TV exists. Um, he is all about exploring and what can I get into? Can I pull all the leaves off this plant? What if I move this stool over here? Can I get up on that? Can I play, play with the dog bowls? This is his most favourite thing. We said, you know, for his birthday present, all he really needs is a dog bowl and a balloon and he's happy. <laughs> Next he's to eat dog food too, which is gross. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I'd let him, he would be 100%. But now she likes to feed them instead, so, you know. That's lucky. It's, yeah, it's a bit challenging dealing with, yeah, because he's so... He's not walking yet, but he's very mobile in terms of getting around. But, well, yeah. they can be bloody fast when they want to be, even when they're not yes. walking, don't they? Yeah. Especially when they've got no nappy on. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's crawling away. Because <laughs> um, Henry would just lie there and he'd lift his leg up and do, and you need this spot here and you wipe, you wipe your bum, he'll lift his legs up so you can get in there. Charlie's like trying to get away from me, like, get off me, woman. I've got to, I want the freedom. Let me go. <laughs> it's like wrestling a tiger <laughs> just to so, get him dressed. <laughs> welcome to the rest of the next few years with the two boys, I guess. Yes, yes. He's going to be my runner. Everything you dreamed it was going to be there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's pretty special. But, yeah, the sicknesses have been a challenge, though. I don't think I anticipated what that would be really like. And I don't think anybody has. Everybody I've talked to has had a really rough trot this year. Yeah. with the kids yeah but hopefully we've got a what another month and a half and then hopefully things start <laughs> how many viruses are there can there is there i, I know that the um and my head keeps getting them a the, couple of times so <laughs> the clinic rattled off a couple of other ones <laughs> that i'd never heard of that he could possibly get <laughs> i'm waiting for covid round two <laughs> i'm sure that's gonna I think happen we're all waiting for that one now yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get my fourth jab though, just in case. In case that might make a difference. I don't know. I'll try anything. If I had a jab for RSV, I'd be totally in there for that one too. Do it all. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's been so wonderful chatting with you tonight, mm. and I'm so glad, even though you had a little hiatus in the middle, thanks to COVID, that you did manage to get two. Mm. Not quite the three you des desired, but yeah, I think the. Sounds like Charlie will make up for it and he can be the crazy people at once. So. Yes, he's the crazy one. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to say to anyone that's listening um, just in parting? Um, yeah, I don't think I would never, I would have, um, I guess I would have been disappointed if I hadn't gone ahead with it. I don't think I've heard anybody say that they regret going through it. I mean, I know there's, there's challenging times for everybody um, at different points. And some points are more enjoyable than others. Um, but it is pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> if anybody has any questions about um, things like how do you answer questions when your kids start asking about this stuff, <laughs> feel free to reach out to me. I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of people would take you up on that one. Might have to do a special bonus episode on that one, I think. That's a good idea. There's a load of funny stories. I'm sure a lot of people have funny stories about the first time their kid finally cottons on that they're a bit different and asks questions. I think a very good bonus episode coming up. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing a story and I can't wait for everyone to hear it. Yeah, thank you. 
I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.